Hey, and welcome to the Folk Pie Podcast. I'm Liam, and I'll be your guide and storyteller as we pit through history, looking for the weird and interesting characters, ideas, and events that really color the past. These first few episodes here are drawn from cutting room floor material that didn't make it into the Burlington 2 video we made this summer. You haven't seen the Burlington 2 video. Well, go check it out on YouTube on our channel, at Folk Pie. It's a cool and trippy march through time, looking at history from the perspective of Burlington, Vermont. Why Burlington, Vermont? Well, that's where I'm at right now. So I've got access to all the good historical sources. In the future, I might just come to your funky little city and tell your stories. So let's get into it. I'm starting off by talking about the Allen Brothers. The guys who really get the credit for founding the state of Vermont in America. And yeah, pretty much they did. Green Mountain history would be a lot different without these guys. Their hijinks is the stuff of legend, and their misadventures during the chaos of the American Revolutionary War means that they had an outsized influence on basically everything they touched. Ready? Let's go. We're going to start off by digging in a little further with the Allen Brothers. These guys' lives were totally bonkers, and crucially, the stories revolve around two 18th century conspiracy theories that made Vermont the state it is today. What I want to get across that maybe wasn't so plain in Burlington, too, is that the Allen family are the Ur-Vermonters, for better or for worse. Real archetypes of the Puritan Yankees. The story of Vermont's origins is very much a story of the Allen clan. They are still popular figures in the Vermont conscience. There's the Ethan Allen Museum. A ton of streets and businesses are named after these guys. One of the mountain peaks around Camel's Hump is called Mount Ethan Allen. There's a life-size statue of Ira Allen on the University of Vermont campus, which proclaims him as the founder of the University of Vermont and the state of Vermont. Both of these claims are demonstrably false, though. It says it on the pedestal, not true, hilariously. There's a lot of uh, Ira Allen's weird and sketchy life that you won't find on his Wikipedia page. Uh, you really got to dig into the sources and uh, academic texts to figure out how crazy this guy was. So I'm talking about the Allen brothers, Ethan, Hammond, Levy, and Ira. They had other siblings, Herbert, Zimri, uh, Lydia, and Lucy, but they didn't do squat. Their parents were Joseph and Mary Baker, English Puritans, Mayflower colonist types, and strongly connected to the intellectual trends of the time. Their life reads like a small-scale dress rehearsal of their children's lives. They lived in the Connecticut colony town of Litchfield, but left to go settle on the empty western Connecticut hills because the conservative Congregational Puritans really cramped their dad's vibe. Uh, this was around 1740, the Puritan Great Awakening, the first one. So there was a lot of fervor going around, and the conservatives were arguing against Enlightenment rationalist thought and deism, which is exactly what old man Joseph subscribed to. Joseph, their father, impressed on his sons the value of land. He speculated in small plots around the town they moved to and was elected the town's first tax collector when it was incorporated as a political town entity. Joseph told his sons, quote, Nets to religion, landed property was the most substantial, end quote. Then he died early, and that last lesson must have been all the more impressive. All right, so first up on Team Allen is Ethan, the eldest brother. He was a thinker. He was an Enlightenment geek, a deist. 
He was on the cutting edge of science and educational thinking. As a young guy, he'd been called to local court for self-inoculating against smallpox, uh, which needed the town selectman's approval to do that for some reason. But Ethan played fast and loose with super science. Inoculation as a medical invention had just been imported fairly recently from Istanbul and the Islamic Ottoman sciences. He did not go to Yale University like he'd wanted to, Uh, Yale is the Puritans Connecticut University because his father had died. Instead, he self-educated in philosophy and political theory under this dude Thomas Young, who would become a liberal revolutionary and Tea Party organizer. Uh, Together, Ethan and Thomas Young wrote a manifesto called Reason, the Only Oracle of Man. But Young eloped with the manifesto and it wasn't recovered until years later. Uh, These writings were like an early stab of what would become known as transcendentalist philosophy like a century later. Later writers like Thoreau came from the same like Puritan milieu as Alan. Thoreau triumphed the purity of nature having been influenced both by the same personal covenant with God, remember that, and limited understandings of the Eastern philosophy of Buddhism. Heady times, right? Anyway... Ethan's love for nature outside society, i.e. the unsettled frontier, was not uncommon in Puritan culture given their environment, and not surprising given his upbringing in the hills outside Litchfield. He was also a business investor, buying a stake in a Massachusetts lead mine, Northampton, where he was eventually asked to leave for his outspoken deist radicalism. They did not like him. So early on, Ethan's got a taste for money flipping. Uh, he would come to see the value in land speculation as instructed by his father, which would lead him towards the fresh new New Hampshire grants. So Ethan Allen, we got him. He's an ideological zealot, a liberal, a Republican, an individualist. This is interesting stuff. And like others of his generation, he put his energy behind the blossoming new explosions of republics, somewhere where he could be an influential man outside of the stifling moralism of the conservative Puritan communes, unbound by any custom except self-interest. Classic. Now, Ethan's life is going to start intersecting with the land that would one day become Vermont, as friends and relatives of the Allens were beginning to buy up the Wentworth land grants of Green Mountain Land, uh, which showed up advertised in Connecticut newspapers like The Current, issued by the New Hampshire royal governor as part of a money-raising scheme for the capital. Sell contracts of Abernathy land, let the new settlers duke it out with the natives when they showed up to claim their lots. Easy, right? Easy money. Allen's friends and family went to explore the area as surveyors, and their real aim was speculation. Buying the grants, the New Hampshire grants, on a loan and then reselling them. Uh, middlemen, basically. Easy money. But they found the grants were contested, both by the Abenaki locals who were dwindling but still there and were like, fuck off, we live here, and by the New Yorkers who were selling alternative grants of the same land. The Allens and their affiliate friends and speculators formed the militia, the Green Mountain Boys, to defend their claims, and Allen was elected as their commander. All right, Ethan Allen sells his Connecticut and southern Vermont lands to buy new ones much further north, around the Winooski River. This is rich terrain, and he anticipated waves of inbound pioneers who would settle on his plots. But if they were going to be his plots and make his money, he'd have to establish everyone's favorite social technique of power over this land. Monopoly. He did this in three ways. Monopoly of force, i.e. his leadership of the Green Mountain Boys. 
legal incorporation to administer his holdings effectively, and ideological appeals in printed broadsheets, proclaiming his point of view and arguing that the land fairly belonged to him. So, okay, we got to admit that this guy, Ethan, seems like a pretty effective operator at this point. Here comes the violence. In 1771, Ethan and his boys apprehended some Scottish settlers from New York tied them up and forced them to watch as they burned their cabins down. Ethan tells his prisoners, quote, Go your way now and complain to that damned scoundrel your governor. God damn your governor, laws, king, council, and assembly, end quote. Ethan, whoa. So the New York governor, uh, Lord Tyron, an appointee by King George, these are American colonies, remember, issued warrants for Ethan Allen's arrest, and threats were exchanged. Ethan could just not refrain from insulting Tyron in printed newspapers. Uh, they formed a corporation, a legal fictionhood, which is innovative in American legalism, to manage their deeds around the Winooski River, the Onion River Company. We'll probably get more into this when we talk about IRA. And Ethan wrote a book over the summer of 1774 called A Brief Narrative of the Proceedings of the Government of New York Relative to the Obtaining the Jurisdiction of that Large District of Land to the Westward of the Connecticut River, which was not at all brief. It was like 200 pages. But then the American Revolution breaks out. And with open conflicts between the colonial militia and British troops in Massachusetts, the Connecticut militia advised Ethan Allen that they were planning to attack the British fort at Ticonderoga and requested his assistance. His Green Mountain boys met in Bennington and decided on a dawn raid, co-led by Ethan Allen and this dude, Benedict Arnold. The surprise raid was a success, and they captured it without any guns fired, the only casualty being one concussed Brit who Ethan Allen wailed on the head with his cutlass. Brother, you need to chill out. This begins a very short string of successes that saw Ethan Allen becoming envious of Benedict Arnold's lightning raid on a St. John's garrison. So Ethan plans an ill-conceived move to just go back and capture that same St. Johnson garrison, despite everyone telling him it was a bad idea. The alarm had already been raised, but Ethan Allen wasn't going to let strategic competence get in the way of his ego, and he leads his boys there anyway. It immediately becomes a shambles when his boys witnessed 200 regular British troops uh, approaching to reinforce the raided garrison, just like everyone predicted. So the boys retreated, fell asleep, neglected to post a watch to keep them safe, and were discovered by British sentries who fired on them. A totally amateur affair. They had to flee back to Benedict Arnold with their tail between their friggin' legs. Also, I love calling them the boys. The Green Mountain Boys, call them the boys. That's very funny. Ethan Allen might have been able to raise civilian cabins with impunity, but military tactician, he was not. Tired of Ethan Allen's egotistical behavior, impatience, and imprudence, his own Green Mountain Boys voted him off as commander, stripping him of leadership, but allowed him to stay on as a civilian guide. He did know the land, after all. Uh, the Green Mountain Boys, meanwhile, were incorporated as a regiment in the new Continental Army under Philip Schuller, who implored the Colonial Congress to let him attack Quebec. The American Revolution is in full swing now, and Ethan Allen is right in the thick of it. 
Schuyler's army was going to try to take Quebec, and try they did. They marched north and entered British Canada with basically no resistance, taking a series of small forts and garrisons along the way. Ethan Allen pleaded to be given responsibility in the order of battle. The role of civilian guide was just not giving sublime. Schuler, wary of Ethan and probably wanting to be rid of him, gave him a few men, sent him out on a mission to rally the local French Canadians to rise up against the British and secure their side of the river in preparation for the main army to arrive. Montreal, after all, had only been under the control of Britain for like 10 years now and would surely greet the Americans as an army of liberators. I don't know why that was sarcastic. They actually did. If only they knew they were on the way. Ethan took his detachment to the St. Lawrence River and, reaching it, decided to just attack Montreal on his own without the army and, like, a hundred men. Like, fuck the plan, I'll just do it myself. The ego on this guy. Predictably, it did not go well. His force was dissipated by the puny British garrison at Montreal and he was big captured and thrown in a prison brig. Less than two months later... Less than two months, the American Continental Army rolled into Montreal, captured it with basically no effort, and was greeted by the French Canadians as liberators. Uh, But they found the city hard to defend and soon left it behind, continuing on towards the main target and capital of Quebec, where they starved in the frozen-ass tundra and bumbled a siege, then retreated back with their lives, fumbling the bag and ending the Quebec campaign. But Ethan Allen had been long gone before they took Montreal, captured as a prisoner of war and carried back to England, realm of the dread British royals. Ethan Allen's reputation had preceded him. He was notorious amongst the British as a rabid Republican and was thrown in solitary confinement and kept in chains. Oof. He was transferred and sent to England, kept in Pendennis Castle, Pendennis, Cornwall, He wrote about his miserable conditions to the Continental Congress and urged them to mistreat British prisoners in the same way. Reason the only oracle of man indeed. Uh, Then he was moved again, this time to Cork, Ireland, where the local Irish raised a collection to provide for him. A Republican revolutionary against the British crown in their own midst. How exciting. Then he was moved to occupy New York where his prison ship entertained his own New York Crown Governor, the one he'd gotten into the newspaper spats with, William Tryon. Talk about going full circle. He was moved ashore and given limited parole as a POW. Then, even more full circle, he learned about the death of his son from smallpox, who apparently had not been inoculated. R.I.P. This news hurt Ethan, and he wandered off in a daze, not caring where he was going, uh, which was interpreted by his jailers as violating the parole, and he was thrown back in solitary. Uh, But he was transferred again, this time to better accommodations, where he wined and dined with British lords, generals, and commandants, and he was approached by a British officer to defect to the loyalist side, but declined, I guess. Okay. During this phase of imprisonment, Uh, Vermont declared independence as a sovereign republic. Finally, he was freed in a prisoner exchange and reported to the Virginian aristocrat general, George Washington, at Valley Forge. Ethan Allen was given the rank of colonel because everyone felt bad that he was a prisoner for so long, but they did not give him anything to do, did not trust his ability, and eventually just stopped paying him. Uh, Allen returned to Vermont, where he was treated as a returning war hero and wrote, quote, We passed the flowing ball, the royal felicity, sweetened with friendship, glowed in every countenance. 
End quote. Uh, by the way, Charles Jellison writes in the book Frontier Rebel, Allen, quote, spent most of his time either in Bennington or on the road where he could avoid his wife's nagging, end quote. Okay. Ethan settled into politics in the new independent Republic of Vermont. Vermont enacted the Banishment Act, which appropriated money and property from known Tories, pro-British types, and Allen served as a judge on the confiscation tribunals and took it as an opportunity to weed out the settlers boasting New York claims and consolidate his own land empire. This was corruption at its finest. God love him. The Allens, if nothing else, were opportunists, and it's all about the land monopoly. He even stripped his own brother Levi of his lands during this time, accusing him of having British sensibilities. So this really colors Ethan's motivations. Poor Levi. We'll get to him. Ethan wrote a best-selling and self-serving memoir, A Narrative of Colonel Ethan Allen's Captivity, containing his voyages and travels, with the most remarkable occurrences respecting him and many other continental prisoners of observations, written by himself and now published for the information of the curious in all nations. God, the book titles used to be so long. Wherein he erased any reference to Benedict Arnold at Ticonderoga, I always have trouble with Ticonderoga. Or his loss over command of the uh, Green Mountain Boys. Those personal military embarrassments were simply smoothed over. But tensions with New York continued. The New York governor offered to preserve the Wentworth claims. The, uh, this is not the royal governor. This is a new governor, Thomas Clinton. The royal governor is hella deposed. The New York governor offered to preserve the Wentworth claims if the locals would become part of New York. Not happening. Ethan published a series of scathing and hostile polemics insulting the governor, Thomas Clinton. Now, Thomas Chittenden, uh, Allen's buddy and governor of the Vermont Republic, petitioned to become an independent 14th state under the Continental Congress. But the Congress said no, kind of. New York had a lot of influence there and really wanted to take the Green Mountains as its own. Negotiations would continue. Meanwhile, British raids were conducted into Vermont from Canada to raise pressure and intimate a threat from the north. And the first conspiracy began. The plot among the Vermont oligarchs like Chittenden and Allen to secretly have the British take over Vermont, regardless of what the other citizens of Vermont or the legislator had to say. Fuck those guys. We call the shots. Vermont loyalist spy Justice Sherwood approached Ethan Allen as a secret agent and suggested Vermont make allegiance to the crown. Allen countered, demanding Vermont be a separate province with its own military command. The negotiations on the subject remained secret and end if Vermont was admitted by the Congress. Ira Allen was skulking around and agitating for New Hampshire and Vermont to join as one state. Then Vermont raised the stakes by aggressively claiming territory across the Connecticut River in New Hampshire and towns in New York east of the Hudson, putting pressure on the Congress. But these were just bargaining ships that Vermont could later benevolently step down from if they were only recognized. The Congress, the Continental Congress, the big one, in a hurry decided to accept Vermont's entry to the Union. If only it rescinded the outrageous claims that increased its original boundaries, New York, acting alone, was not having it and offered judicial posts around Vermont under New York authority. Ethan Allen, incensed, raised a militia force and occupied the town of Guilford, Vermont. His own town, his own state, 
confiscating property of pro-New Yorkers while continuing his correspondence with the British through Sherwood. If the New Yorkers wouldn't let them join Congress, they would just go to the British. Enter the Quebec governor, Frederick Haldimand, who tried to pry Vermont away from the Congress by offering concessions, but he was wary of the Allens' double-dealing, writing, quote, Ethan Allen is endeavoring to deceive both the Congress and us, end quote. And Sherwood, writing, quote, My opinion corroborates with the majors that Mr. Allen's errand here is to prolong the time and, if possible, to alarm Congress into a compliance with their demands, end quote. Very astute. Nevertheless, they were in agreement with Chittenden and Allen, that the British would secretly be allowed to invade Vermont and proclaim it a British territory. The British military took up position at Ticonderoga with orders to treat the Vermont militia in a friendly manner. Uh, Vermont militia knew nothing about this secret deal. And there was a little confrontation where they freaked out when they saw the British, and there was a big scuffle. Several Vermonters died, and it prompted the British to write a nice apology letter to the Vermonters, which was read aloud on the street by someone who apparently didn't know this was all supposed to be secret, inadvertently revealing aspects of this conspiracy. People were confused and pissed off, but luckily Ira Allen was there to lie to them. A Vermont militiaman, Major Runnels, demanded Ira Allen, why would a British general, St. Ledger, be sorry that he killed Vermont militiamen? Uh, Ira Allen said, good men are sorry when good men are killed. Uh, this very stupid answer enraged Runnels, and he demanded why a British general should be sorry when an enemy was killed and have his clothes sent to the soldier's widow. Allen was like, I don't know, go ask him. So while this wheat-fed Vermont militiaman was having his brain broken by conspiracy theories, their friend Nathaniel Chipman then forged a series of explanations which seemed to smooth things over with the assembly legislature. Everyone was asking questions at this point. But rumors started to drift in about a possible big British defeat at Yorktown. Then a communique arrived that the entire British army under Cornwallis had surrendered. The British up and left back to Canada. Independence was conceded to the Continental Congress, and New York pardoned the Durant speculators. Vermont was incorporated to the new American Confederation, and everything wrapped up in a nice big bow. So Ethan Allen went back to his land around the Winooski River, present-day Burlington, the Ethan Allen Museum, look it up, and took up farming. What a Cincinnatus. Let's wrap up his life real quick-like. He recovered his manifesto, reasoned the only oracle of man, from the widow of his mentor, Thomas Young, R.I.P., and it was published in 1785. It's a real Puritan work, attacking the old Christianity and attacking the Bible and railing against priests and organized religion and established churches. None of that shit. Get out of here. Uh, it leaned hard on Spinoza's elaboration of Descartes' thought that ideas perfectly correspond to reality, yada yada, purity of nature, all the ideas that would become uh, transcendentalism. It was a commercial failure. It did not sell, by the way. Uh, Congregationalist minister and Yaley Timothy Dwight said of it, 
quote, The style was crude and vulgar, and the sentiments were coarser than the style. The arguments were flimsy and unmeaning, and the conclusions were fastened upon the premises by mere force, end quote. Reason the only oracle of man, more like, uh, learn to write, dummy. After his first wife died, he married Francis Fanny Montresor Brush Buchanan, Jesus Christ, a young widow, and they settled down into a smitten, happy marriage. Nice, good for them. Ethan Allen was approached by Daniel Shays, leading the first of many anti-debt farmer rebellions, who offered to make Ethan Allen the king of Massachusetts if he lended support. He did not. Uh, but well should have, because the Allens settled into the old aristocrats' problem of being land-rich, cash-poor, and was threatened with debtor's prison. But Ethan still had a lot of leverage and could sell off his enormous tracts to postpone his debt. But in February 1789, while traveling back from South Hero, Vermont, visiting a cousin and conducting business, he either slipped off the boat while drunk or suffered a fit of apoplepsy. Apple, apoplepsy. Apoplepsy. Ap, apoplepsy. What the hell? Uh, oh, oh, God. Or suffered a fit of apoplepsy and unconscious was carried home where Ethan Allen died. What a life this guy lived. I don't know why he gets the credit for military acumen. All the statues of him are holding a gun or something. He was basically inept, except at the art of burning down houses. Interesting guy, though. He's continuously invoked as the founding father of the state and a mythic role model. Um, my favorite aspect of his life is saying, yo, fuck that guy, Benedict Arnold. I can do better than him. And just landing flat on his face. All right, in the next episode, we'll move on to his brother, Ira Allen, who somehow had an even more insane life. Go check out our Patreon at Folk Pie and follow our podcast there. See y'all next time.